Welcome to the Lighthouse Conversations, a show featuring entrepreneurs and tastemakers from the worlds of art, culture, tech, and of course, food. I'm your host, Hashem Montasin. We hope you had a lovely Eid break. I'm joined on the show today by Jordanian designer Anouda Zabin, who, among other things, identifies herself, and I quote, as a Bedouin at heart. Anoud is also a multidisciplinary designer who is rooted in the practice of architecture. Just a few months ago, we collaborated with her at the Lighthouse in D3, where she set the stage for an exclusive pop-up for Beirut's The Silly Spoon. As an active person who enjoys physical fitness and well-being, she has also added mobility coach to her now expanding resume. Anoud says that seeking joy in particular moments is what binds everything in her life, and you'll hear all about it in a few minutes during the episode. During the pandemic, Anoud experienced several aha moments when it came to her interest and strong affinity to design. She became what feels like an overnight sensation, known for her tablescapes and ephemeral table installations that showcase design in its many forms, be it with whimsical greenery, dried fruit, or elaborate charcuterie platters. This process of designing an experience happened quite organically for Anoud, and her Bedouin roots might have something to do with it. Anoud also shares snippets about how her childhood in Jordan influenced her interest and career trajectory. Anoud, uh, welcome. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you. I met you a couple of weeks ago at the Lighthouse. I had heard a lot about you already, and I looked a little bit into your profile and what you do. I was so intrigued, and I want to start there. Because you seem to straddle a number of things, yeah. seemingly to the outsider, all simultaneously. You have an interest, obviously, in architecture, architecture sorry, which is what you've studied. You have an interest in design, broadly speaking. And we'll talk about your tablescapes and your practice there in a minute. You have an interest in, um, broadly speaking, wellness and fitness and mobility. And you give mobility classes and other things. We're going to talk about that. Is there a common theme that binds all of your interests? Uh, joy, yes. Joy, that's joy. the nice one. Okay. Yeah, it's seeking joy in moments. So basically all the things that I love to do. Did they develop all simultaneously? Because I, I can relate a little bit to this. I mean, mm. I started in banking and I'm still very interested in finance and trading. And we have the lighthouse and that is more about food and design. And, and I have my own personal interests in art and culture. So I understand having multiple interests and, 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 and apply them to your life, which I think is wonderful, honestly. So kudos to you. But uh, in my case, for example, some of them lay dormant. And over time, I brought them up, and then eventually, I tried to find a way to bind them. But it wasn't all at the same time. How was it for you? I'm curious. Was this a simultaneous eruption, or <laughs> was it sort of one thing after the other, and then they came together? No, they were definitely one thing after the other. Okay. Um, I've always defined myself as an architect, someone who is uh, rooted in architecture. And then when I became a mom... I became, I geared more towards fitness, taking care of my body and my well-being. And then as my uh, uh, eldest daughter was growing up, I wanted to expose her more to my background, my childhood, which is very much rooted in agriculture. Because your family has an agriculture business? Yes. Okay. So I wanted to expose her to, you know, the things that I value in, in life. And let me just probe here a little bit more as well. On the fitness or on the, on the mobility and movement side, was it just having a child or was it that at that point you felt 
you know, you weren't happy with either your appearance or you felt you needed to be healthier to deal with being a mother. What was it? So um, before I became a mom, uh, working in architecture, um, I was very much aware of the amount of hours and work that as an architect dedicates in, in this practice. And I, I had a, a teacher that always used to tell me, you need to be proud and happy because you are always creating for joy for people. Working in the office, I always used to remember him saying that. And I, at the same time, remember that as I was creating joy for people, I think my body was paying the price. Mm. My body, my social life. So when I became a mom, the priorities were very easy to kind of shift in a way. I had to slow down and say, okay, this is the time where I'm going to dedicate time for my body, for my well-being. What was the starting point? So I was always fit okay. growing up. Okay. But specifically when I became, when I got pregnant, I was like, I'm taking a step back. Okay. So I, back then I quit my desk job and I dedicated fully to just resting in a way. Mm -hmm. It was very intuitive. It was very intuitive. I knew that I was putting so much work and that my body was um, needed rest. Were there signs or was this just your perception? I mean, was there a visible sign? Did you start having aches? No, Did my perception. Ill? My perception. Your, your feeling about your consciousness, your own feeling about yourself. Yeah, I'm, I know that I'm a very target-driven person. I'm very disciplined as well. So I know that when, when I've hit a certain intensity of work, that it's time to say, okay, I've reached that target. Let me shift a little bit. That's a pretty healthy dose of self-awareness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm slightly I, I, envious. Yeah. <laughs> I never know where to stop and then yeah. sit. So, you know, no, it's hard. It's hard. I guess so. I guess so. It's but hard and that's why I ask for external signs because sometimes... Somebody, signs yeah, I mean, the signs are you just fall sick, you know, yeah. or something happens, something erupts. Yeah. So for you to by yourself say, you know what, it's, I've gone too far, I have to retool yeah. is remarkable. Yeah. And maybe, maybe having a child was, was that sign for you in a way. Maybe, maybe as well. But I'm also, I'm someone who's very intuitive. I journal ever since I was a child. I journal. I have... I'm quite famous with my journals, actually. I have a full library. Is that of, right? Like I was in college and I was always the one known for this girl and her journal. Was so it specific it, um, Yes, a, mo a black moleskin. That was my question, yeah. Yeah, black, black moleskin. Black moleskin, the thick uh, sketch. Uh, oh, I know them, yeah. yeah. You still use the black moleskin? Yes. So, so if we gift you something that's not a black muscle, will you just politely take it, but then reject yes. it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's good to know. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Not a self. red muscle. Memo to self. No yeah. gift to Anud of anything but muscle. <laughs> because, <laughs> because of the thick paper, it just absorbs all the ink. Okay. So a lot of sketches, a lot of everyday life uh, snippets. And you do it from, every day? I used to almost do it okay. every day, yeah. Okay. Now it's more like once a week. Remarkable. Do you ever go back and yeah. look at them? Yeah. You Always, do? yeah. Because they have really beautiful sketches. Really beautiful sketches. I, I love them and they're part of my history, my, my life. Would you ever share them with anyone? Uh, actually, a lot of my friends go through them as well. Oh, really? And you're okay with that? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Most people don't want anyone leafing through their journals. Actually, the thing is, um, 
I'm on social media and I'm very you are. active on social yes. media. And I think social media has replaced my a little that bit part of, of my journaling. journaling. Yes. Yeah. So I sketch, I communicate, I express, I use even social media, my daily stories as a, you know, to set targets for myself and commit to these targets. What yeah. made you shift from a very private journaling process to an extremely public journaling process? That's a big shift. Yeah. Was it related to the fact that you have a business, obviously, um, that you needed to promote or showcase? Was it a conscious decision? Did it happen organically? Before Instagram, there was, uh, we were very active. Everyone, every designer was very active on Facebook. Um, if you flip through their profiles, everyone had these, you know, these uh, dated albums of work. Correct. So the shift to Instagram, going visual, was amazing for designers and architects and anyone that ex and artists. But then, but were you conscious of that shift? Because now it's not just a CV, as you said. Yes. Your daily stories, you are effectively journaling in public. Yes. But that's a shift, and that's why you just said it yourself. You're not yeah. journaling as much. Yes. By writing in your yeah. moleskin with a thick. Uh, with a thick. Thick paper. <laughs> thick I'm so envious of them. I'm gonna um, definitely find something else for her. But anyway. <laughs> no, but when I also again when I was uh, only a mom, okay, at home in Dubai, a new mother in Dubai. Uh, social media was uh, my connection to the world. And um, I wasn't happy with that. I wasn't happy with that connection. Um, I thought that a lot of the work that was being celebrated is not real. Um, and I think when I became very active, and it started off from a very phys like fitness, it started with me sharing my fitness journey, it was a dedication to everything that was real, real work, real struggles every single day. And from there, I started shifting, I think, from sharing the physical exercise every day to sharing more the emotional, to, uh, you know, how I perceive the world, to finding design in fitness, finding what is it about uh, fitness that I love. Is it the movement? Is it the flow? Connecting to that. Then it started, my, my journal changed from being yeah. a fitness journey to how the finding beauty and the essence of movement. And connecting dots in your interest. I, I yes. saw that. Yes. So as you said now, I was smiling because <laughs> when you said design and fitness, I mean, that's one of the areas of interest to you. Yeah. And I'm going to get into the agriculture and design yes. piece as well that shows yes. up in your tablescapes, obviously. But you're connecting dots yes. slowly. I, I understood what I love about design by practicing fitness. Uh, fitness. Movement. Movement. I, I tried all sorts of modalities, all sorts of types of fitness, and I understood that continuous flow is what I love. Then I started seeing that connection in space how I design spaces, how that movement, that energy, that connection. You know, that's so interesting. I want to share a story, if you don't mind. Yeah. One of my, uh, my great uncle is an Egyptian uh, uh, artist called Mahmoud Said, well-known yeah. artist. And um, there was a, one of his paintings of men praying. Yeah. And you see they're arched. Obviously, yeah. their backs are arched. So there's this curvature. And, you know, as you all know, in a lot of Islamic countries... A lot of the doors, there's a lot of arches in general. Yes, yes. So 
I started realizing that he took the design, the architectural design of a yeah. lot of these homes and mosques and, you know, public spaces and weaved it into the movement of yes. those people by creating a, a, a harmony in yeah, a way. Yeah. And it sort of almost feels like, uh, yes. you know, what you're talking about is sort of similar there. There is a, there is a connecting dot between the architectural artifact and then the movement and then um, your, 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 your practice, essentially. Yes. It is understanding the environment around us, for sure. You seem very intuitive when it comes to understanding the environment around you. So one of the things I picked up when I was doing research for this episode is how much you contemplate and study. I'm talking now specifically about your uh, tablescapes. It's fascinating. It's also very versatile. Yes. In the sp span of two weeks, I saw you at a friend's common friend's house yeah. at Nada's place. Yeah. And then at the lighthouse during the pop-up. And they were completely different yeah. uh, installations, both by you, but very differently inspired, very different yeah. concepts. Yes, yes. So there's a lot of versatility in the work, which is unusual. Yeah. And I think that that comes from the fact that I love design and I appreciate all forms and types of design. There's no one style. I see myself, my work as a like kind of a tool. If I'm smart enough to understand you, then I can service, like provide you with a service that kind of builds on your work and your design. Does that make it easier to work with repeat clients? In other words, if Hashem asked you to come and work with me on something, yeah. the first time, perhaps you don't know me so well, does that, yeah, is that kind of a level of intimacy with your clients? Does that change yes. your process and make it easier over time? Uh, absolutely. Okay. But uh, the, the information doesn't only come from a conversation between me and you. I walk into your space and I automatically understand who you are. Uh, you know, there's this... Now we're very curious. We want to know when you walk <laughs> yeah. into the lighthouse, what did you no, think? I mean, that is just me. Like it's, uh, you no, walk I'm so in, curious. Yeah, you walk in with the strangers, with a, with a fresh... And that's something I always tell my clients when they're trying to recreate their interiors. You need to walk in having uh, the eyes of a stranger. What, who are you? What do you perceive? Though. Yes. To see things as they are, without any emotional attachments, without the routine, without anything. How does this space look like? What does it say about the person that is living and working in this space? Um, so... These, this kind of information comes in from all sorts of places, from something you said, from if I know you well, your space, uh, your designs, um, all of that comes in and it's almost like you're trying to, you know, collect, collect information and then there needs to be a target. And usually the target is, um, a lot of it has to do with exploring, trusting the process, creating something new, and at the same time, uh, creating a... I'm talking now about tablescape. Yes. A wow factor element. You need to shock. I like to shock people. Do you need to shock? Yes. But in a very subtle way... Do you want to way. shock or do your clients need shock or is it a factor also of social media today and needing something that's more clickable? I think most of the work that's been celebrated mm. that we are always seeing in general is mediocre. Mm. Okay. Right? Same statement, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
You pushed me too hard. No, but I, I, I want to push you. I That's want, the whole point. I want, uh, before people, I want myself mm. to... You want to rise above the fray. I get it. Yes. But does it, I'm asking, does it need to be a shock factor? Is that an essential element? When you're in nature, you, you're, you're not thinking about anything. You're experiencing that moment, that honest moment, and this um, very mindful moment. I want that to happen when you're perceiving my work. I see. It's not about shocking as in, you know, I want to shock you. No, I want you to be thrilled. I want you to be excited. I want you to absorb my work and really be present when you see my work. Not, not because I want you to acknowledge me, but I want you to show how beautiful things can be that nature is very beautiful, that design is very beautiful, art is very beautiful. When we come back, we talk about Anur's heritage, which is steeped in agriculture, and how her need to establish roots, combined with her love of the ephemeral, creates a unique perspective on art and design. Welcome back. I'm Hasha Montasser, and you're listening to the Lighthouse Conversations with our guest, Anoud Zabin. The work you're doing is definitely inviting presence, right? Yeah. Because I have to take a moment, we're talking about specifically yeah. installations and tablescapes, to look at what you've done. And essentially, that creates certain stillness and a certain space for me to one way or the other interact with, with what you've put mm. together. Mm. How did this come about? Was your first tablescape a personal um, attempt that someone prompt you by asking you to come work with them on something because there seems to be a very organic process here but it must have started somewhere and you're an architect so obviously you have the building blocks yeah but it's not obvious that every architect goes and decides yeah. to work with installations and tablescapes and those types of things okay they may have the eye they may have the training on the process it doesn't always transition very successfully, very I have successful. to be honest. So, I mean, my process started from uh, when I was a, a child. Okay. Again, I come from an agriculture background. So every, usually in summer, when our produce, when it's the season, farmers used to always, we used to always host and have these fruits tables, produce tables. And as a young child... I was given the task to lay out <laughs> the fruits and vegetables and kind of celebrate them, showcase them, be proud of them. And as a child, I wanted always to celebrate our produce. And your heritage. And my heritage. So I was going to get said, because you just said we, that's why I smiled. Yeah. It's how interesting how you see, see yourself very yes. much because it's tied teamwork. to this heritage. Because it's teamwork, agriculture. Yeah. Uh, seasonality. Does it have to do also with the heritage you, you shared with me earlier, that you know, the Bedouin heritage on your father's side? Is that part of the identity being tied to land, being tied to... Does that come in? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I mean, that's a, whole, a big conversation. It is. It's, it's, it's always giving back. And it's connecting to land as well. There's that... Yeah. I mean, Jordan Anchor. is... I've, I've, I grew up hearing that Jordan is um, a not a rich country. We don't have water. We don't have so much. We don't have a lot, okay? We have hard work. If you work hard, you can, you know, you can rise. So, uh, and I come, from a, 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 I come from a tribe that dedicated for 
years and years back to the land. And not only agriculture, um, government and, and all of that. So I come from that line and I always thought that what I will do is I will give back. So these tables were a sense of pride for you know, the work, my dad, um, it's also, they were colorful, beautiful. Yeah, it's going to say, celebrating beauty in many ways. Yeah. So growing up, I used to, I was given that task of laying out these, who were ma'allim at tasfit, yani. Oranges and lemons and whatever exactly, comes from the land. Exactly. So, and uh, because, again, back to my Bedouin part, we used to host a lot, almost like once a week, twice a week. And it almost like was a, a training for years. Yeah. You know, if, if my guests, doing yeah, this. if my guests come close to these, to these fruits, the more interesting they looked, that means I'm doing a great job. And uh, I understand, it was like building blocks again. So fast forward during COVID, we all intuitively reached out to nature. صح. I cannot forget when, uh, When we first went to the supermarket, me and my husband, and he's going to kill me for this, but it's okay. That's perfectly fine. He, re he was reaching out to all the canned stuff, you know, <laughs> trying to, okay. He like, might kill you for this. Yeah, yes. We won't edit this out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked, at, I looked at him and I'm like, this is definitely my nightmare. No way. I'll go hungry and I won't eat this. I always remember this because later I understood that moment. Uh, my appreciation to agriculture and green. Because in COVID, that's when it like boomed. I always understood that we come from that background. But I never understood that it's so much in me that I need to celebrate it. It's integral to your identity. Yeah. And to who you are, what yeah. your beliefs as well. It's exactly. very obvious. I mean, obvious today, maybe. Yeah. Um, and then during COVID, um, I remember me and a couple of my friends, we were five. We started organizing these... Uh, get-togethers. Get-togethers, this small supper club. And they're all great cooks. So when it was my turn... my way of celebrating them was creating these tablescapes. Oh, and it was a natural, yeah, natural connection to nature. The, the, the stuff I did in COVID for me and my friends, uh, pure, pure dedication and connection to my home in Jordan and in, to nature as well, in general. It's a little bit weird and it's going to sound weird, but like <laughs> I'd miss my grandma Uh, she passed away after a, after a couple of years, but I yeah she's a big part of my my upbringing. So I miss her. You'd react to this. I'd react to that, and it would end up with a full fully pressed flower table with resin on top, and it's like execution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. percent. This is no, your way of celebrating her life. Yeah. So it wasn't like a small thing, and then I think that picked up. The second things were started opening up after COVID. I had a lot of requests, people... And it became a business. And it became Literally. a business, and I'm like, Amazing. guys, I, I work on interiors. Like, I do other things. When, Everybody wants your tables. No, you became like yes. a, a sensation of some sorts. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, I, you know, so many people talked about it. Yeah. And it was so sought after and still, which is amazing, but it happened so organically. Yes. This was not a forced process. Yes, no. Do you have a preference for public... events versus private events in the sense that private events tend to be seen 
by fewer people. I'm, I'm using this as an analogy to something that I think about quite, quite a bit. And I think maybe I alluded to, to you about this. Um, when we looked at a program to promote artists at the Lighthouse, one of my main points where there are so many amazing Arab artists that are only seen in close spaces, yes, yeah. whether homes or more museums and galleries, and those can be intimidating. Mm. And we wanted to shorten this distance yes. by putting them at the lighthouse, which is more of a public space and a restaurant space yeah. and so on and so forth. And a lot of artists reacted really well to this. They were like, we're so happy you're doing this because this does not bel yeah. belittle the art, blacks, it elevates it. Yeah. Yeah. And it gives it exposure of a different type. Yeah. Is that something you think about? Because you do a bit of both. You do private yeah. events, you do public events. Um, I mean, the thing is that I... Every project requires different roles from me. So in private events, I take on the interior designer, the product, uh, I create products, design, execute. It's not only the table. I walk in as an interior designer, so I, we can transform, you know, we can create like entire, space. entire spaces, installations, and there's so much exploration from table all the way to lighting. Um, that's private. When it's public, um, I think because of the nature right now, because I'm now starting to take yeah. on bigger Yeah, bigger events, projects and more public projects. Yes, yeah. I think people still don't understand that I can do the full spectrum. So, so far now, I'm limiting myself. Oh, they're limiting me. Here's your space. I Here's my play. space. Yeah, this <laughs> is the decorative element of the table <laughs> yeah. that you will be designing. The plates are from here. The, I don't know yeah, what's yeah. from here. And then I look at the plate and it's like, what <laughs> is this? You know? But then I can it's, relate to this. Yeah, but then it's, it's the floral. But um, it's all very exciting because it, it, um, I can intensify my work in different ways. Um, but do I have a preference? I don't think I do. Um, I, I really value when my client uh, understands my designs and really appreciates my designs. So that's what I look for. I look for that joy, for that connection, that did you understand me? Yes, I understood you. We have that connection? Yes. That's the, that's the beauty. That's where I feel rewarded. One of the things I spoke to Anud about during our episode was the balance between the temporary and the permanent and how there's an interesting juxtaposition when you start thinking about whether something is lasting or fleeting. This reminds me of my conversation with design wunderkinder Davide Nicola, who spoke about how time in and of itself can be a marker in design. There is many topics that comes when we speak about time. It's to have a piece that you can just give to your to the next generation, something that will stay forever. Okay, and to have something like this is that is that is the idea is to create a piece that will be okay, as you know, timeless. So uh, working with time is like when we design a piece, we we and it's also where retrofuturistic comes comes in is like we we get inspired from the past, but also from the future. We're trying to mix things together uh, in a special special uh, narrative. Now how to put them together in a, a very good harmony, not doing like something futuristic and some, sometimes I put something very vintage. But, you know, when you, you look at our work, it's like there is an evolution. 
Is there a joy or a frustration with the fact that uh, these installations and tablescapes are ephemeral and temporary? For someone that comes from an architectural background where you're used to developing things that are very much not temporary, they're very much, you know, about permanent. permanent. There's a permanence. Yeah. And I, I love this concept, by the way, because you're playing with it in many ways. And I always, I have a, personally, I have a fascination with ephemeral, temporary yeah. things because yeah. I, you know, I find it fascinating that one would put that kind of effort into something that will vanish in a week. But you've come from a, the opposite background in that sense. Yeah. How do you interact with that? Uh, I see it from different, uh, different ways. Um, I love energy and movement, and uh, I don't like when things take so long mm. because I want you to experience them mm. right now, now, and in, in its intensity and its in season. Um, so temporary installations give me that satisfaction. Um, and also, and that's, I guess, maybe the appreciation of movement and energy and the, that change. But then... I experience the opposite when I'm about to leave the installation or my table. It's going to be gone in a day. Yeah, I sit there and I look at it and I almost like say goodbye. Do you document an archive? Yes. You do? Yeah. So there is a way of holding on to to this work. But but because you study a lot and you you put yourself in a position where you are one with the work for so much, so, so much... That when you say goodbye, it's like you're really saying goodbye to a friend, to a piece of work, to a piece of art, and saying, okay, you know, letting go. Here's my pop psychology moment, you know. You started with journals that are very permanent, that are in writing, and then you move to social media, which is not permanent. It is in some ways, but digital and and, and ephemeral, especially, you know, stories and so on and so forth. And you're an architect working on permanent sculpt, uh, structures, moving on to now uh, sort of, yeah. So that's very interesting. And you seem very comfortable with that journey. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. You know, two very different things. Now I'm realizing yeah. that. <laughs> but that's why I asked, are you archiving this, which is interesting. So you're really bringing it back almost uh, 360 degrees, right? You're starting here. but So the journaling and archiving element, to me, that's why I asked about it. It's very interesting. Um, but it's also very interesting because you are rooted, and you spoke about this, your roots in, in Jordan, your roots in, to, to your culture and background, um, yet you seem very comfortable with change and fluidity. Most people that are this rooted, they, they, like, they need this anchor, you yeah, know? Uh, yeah. And change does not necessarily correspond to, to, to anchoring something. I think, uh, I mean, in our, when it comes to architecture, the process sometimes never ends. You work for a full so, year on a, on a project. and It frustrates you. It frustrates you and then it dies. And sometimes the project doesn't go to, doesn't, it's done. It's over. This is exactly the opposite, what yes. you're doing now. This is beginning and end. A beginning and end and you see it, you experience it, and you see others celebrating it. I think uh, that's, that's when it comes to our architecture versus maybe, you know, temporary But also a little bit of both, right? So you look at, for example, artists and photographers. We, ha- we were talking about Hazam Harb, which is the piece that's in the yeah. White House. He takes archival images and appropriates them and manipulates them. Yeah. And in some ways you're doing something similar because you're taking 
parts of your heritage, whether it's food, design elements, and so on, you're appropriating them, you're manipulating them, changing them, and making them look like something else. Yeah. Um, so I think it's interesting. It's a little bit of both because there is that fixed, fixed, fixed yeah. part and there's the ephemeral part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's maybe your way of interacting with it. I don't know. I, I'm going to stop my, my, my pop psychology, but, but it's very interesting to me. This I fact. never thought of it that way, honestly. But I think I just... I, I like to feel and sense the energy and movement in space. Even if I've worked on something, like, uh, for example, I'll give you a simple example. It's my parents' house. It was my baby. I, we, I worked, on from, worked on it from... A to Z. A to Z. Now when I look at it, I don't see it as a, you know, a building, something that I've built. I look at it as... You know, what are the shadows? I see the shadows. I see the greenery that changes every year. Whenever I go and visit them, I see, oh, this tree has grown. Now it's shading on this side. That I love the movement around this fixated element. I love that more so than the permanent. Yeah. What do your girls think about what you do? My girls. <laughs> my girls. I, I mean, I, do, I really don't know. But do, you, do you talk to them about it? Do you get your opinion on particular installations or, or some, some of your work or no? Yeah, well, I mean, my eldest uh, experienced, experienced the first like, design. Uh, How design old is your eldest? Eight. The other one's three, so she's a bit young. Yeah, uh, but the uh, the youngest, my youngest, experienced COVID with me. Ah, so she was at so, home with you and so. Yeah, saw. so uh, my youngest continuously collects stones. Interesting. And flowers. She's a mini anod. It's insane. It's hilarious. Uh, and both of them randomly, as they're walking, they stop and stretch. Or they, you know, like do all you sorts of movement. And you I, randomly stopped and stretched just a few minutes ago. Yeah. But <laughs> like, and sometimes I look at them and I'm like, uh, we're in a public space. Like, yeah. just sit down. There's yeah. no need to, you know, down dog, yoga. I don't know. You know? I wonder where they got it from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, but they're, they're very comfortable with, uh, my eldest is very comfortable with redecorating all the time. Her own room. Her or, own or room, everything. Her the house. And I'm like, slow down. This we need. This we... But she's, she's part of that conversation. But I thought that this was normal. I mean, we did this growing up. Do you remember well. your yeah? mom moving things around all the time? Most yeah. definitely <laughs> yeah. I do. Yeah, so uh, they are creative in their own way. Has your success in your practice, be it your mobility practice, your design practice helped you uh, see Dubai as a home? Has it anchored you here? Because we spoke offline about you growing up in Jordan, moving to Lebanon for almost 10 years, working there, and then coming here and there was a certain level of resentment maybe in the early stages, which is normal when one moves. Yes. Has this now helped you reconcile and feel more at home? Absolutely. Um, when I first moved to Dubai, I saw it from a... a 2010, correct? Yeah. From a tourist point of view. Again, my the architecture school that I went to, I think, was a bit of a socialist 
had the socialist view on architecture. At AOB? Yeah. So coming here was like accepting the fast-paced life and city. Yeah. In a more commercial, yeah. visibly commercial way, right? Yes. In some ways, at least compared to certainly AOB and Beirut. Yes, but I went on a, for, I'd say, years trying to understand the city, why it developed in that way. Why is this highway here? Why are those banners covering things behind and not in other places? What's happening? Um, but it was until I became a mom in Dubai that, and I picked up on fitness that I started to connect with people that had similar interests when it came to fitness. Um, then during COVID, I would say. COVID is the time where I connected to people from here, to mm. Emiratis mm. and non-Emiratis who were born here. And that changed my perception of Dubai the and the sp yeah, place. Because I started relating to the space as my home and I started to explore home. So I now see. I'm on a mission. That's so interesting. You were no longer looking at it from, as you said, a tourist perspective yes. or an outsider's perspective. Yes. That takes time. I feel the same way. Yes. I wasn't as critical. I had enjoyed Dubai from, from the beginning for different reasons. But I, do, um, but I do appreciate that making it your own takes time. Um, and also, obviously, meeting uh, Emiratis and people that grew up here yeah. creates a bit of, again, anchor. Yeah. I mean, if you look at my home 10 years ago, it was a collection of... My, past life. Yes. My grandma's yeah. uh, cabinets. And right. my, I've brought in everything to kind of anchor me and ground me. Now it's completely different. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. I, I can relate to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but home means that I need to know every single alley and rock and plant and I need to understand everything now that's where my mission and now I'm now on a mission to really understand what is there to explore in terms of craftsmanship in terms of traditions culture what it means to what what does the heritage here what does the culture here mean I I need to understand that juxtaposed with well, what's so interesting here is there's a, and I differentiate between the heritage and culture. Mm. I think what you're doing is making culture. In some ways, I think what we're doing, all of us collectively, is weaving the fabric of Dubai's culture. Mm. Mm -mm. We, you use the heritage as a base, as a jumping point. Mm. But because we're not from here, I think we're reinterpreting it in, in our eyes, in our ways. And I find that fascinating. That's a very, very interesting way of, of living. Of living. Because growing up in Egypt, or for you growing up in Jordan, you can do that. People are rooted there. They grew up there. They stay there. They yes. die there. They may have an ability to reinterpret certain elements, but it's very much of a, more, a much more of a homogenous yes. society with similarly sharing similar roots. We don't have that here. Yes. You know, we have, of course, certain shared traits. Yeah. But but genuinely speaking, we come in from different angles but build something together. I find that very interesting. And Dubai really gives you that platform. It really does. Yes. I mean, Dubai now to me is a, um, you know, I can't create the same way in my hometown. There isn't a market for it. Yeah. So 
That's, uh, a good po- that's an interesting point. Yeah, there yes, isn't a market for it. There isn't a market for it. So, and I need to acknowledge that. Um, all my life, I dreamt I'm going to go back to Jordan and have an office and give back. But it's not the case right now. So, I see my role. Uh, my role has changed completely. I define myself in a different way. But um, Dubai definitely provides the market. Um, that melting point of so many cultures. What fascinates me that every cult, every nationality has a supermarket. Yeah. The, this alone is I don't super. Know if there's Egyptian supermarkets, but anyway, I will investigate. <laughs> but isn't this <laughs> yeah. amazing? It is. It is. So it's like a, a, you're peeking into all sorts of cultures, nationalities, um, and it's amazing. But on a personal level, as a Bedouin, I'm relating a lot to the culture here. There are certain things that I did not know that I have in common with the local, I would say, not only Emiratis, like in general, this region, the Gulf. Yeah, um, of course. I There's mean, connecting tissue for sure, yeah. even historically. Yeah, I mean, I love sitting on the floor. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of my clients, and that's something, maybe it's a simple thing, but because my mom comes, she's Jordanian, but comes from the city. Mm. My dad is Bedouin. <laughs> yeah. So she used to always tell my dad, why are you sitting on the floor? Sit on the, why are, we have couches, what are you? But my dad's like, yeah, I'm Bedouin, this is yeah. my, I'm ground. So... Two years ago, I had uh, a client in Abu Dhabi, and she opened my my pers- she opened my perspective. And meeting her was such an honor, and because we connected on all sorts of levels, from sitting on the floor to connect connection to design, to the quality of the pro- it. She opened my eyes, and ever since I met that. Woman. Uh, that woman, I'm, I'm, I want to, I want to explore, absolutely. Let me go back to this element because it's obviously very important to you of giving back. So you mentioned this very clearly as part of your heritage, your Bedouin heritage, growing up, mm. how your family, your dad perceived mm. things. How do you plan to do that? Because to your point now, this is your new home in a different world. If you are about to go back to Jordan, that's an easy way to do it. But you're not doing this right now. No. So how do you um, feel about giving back? In what capacity do you feel? Because I think it's important to you. You will be eventually uh, able to do that. I think we are so lucky to be in a place where things are happening. Mm. Where we are given a voice to explore and create and produce. And that's not where I come from. We are, uh, you know, always importing culture from abroad, production from abroad. What's beautiful about Dubai here, that we are creating this narrative, we are creating this story. And I want to be part of that story, um, of creating uh, and being part of the story of the UAE. Um, things are moving and it's this energy is moving and I think that we're lucky to be part of that I think so too Anut, thank you that was uh, <laughs> uh, eye-opening to say the least <laughs> um, and I look forward to uh, joining one of your mobility classes I'm so curious <laughs> anytime now. I become more flexible <laughs>
Thank you, you very for much. having me. That was great. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Lighthouse Conversations with me, Hashem Montasser. We're produced by Chirag Design, and our content director is Farah Sharif. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow us on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Also, feel free to browse our extensive collection of previous episodes, which you can find in any of the podcast players, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. You can find us on Instagram at thelighthouse underscore AE, or send us an email at connect at thelighthouse.ae. And please share a link with your friends if you've enjoyed this episode. I'll see you in two weeks.